Good morning, Hope Midtown. Uh, my name is Mike Park, and I am now one of the pastors here. So good to be with you. Let's get set up. Hey, so, um, you know, so many things I- I'm sure that, that we could talk about in the ways that we have enjoyed our summer, maybe enjoyed this week. I don't know about you, though, for, for me this week, my heart has been heavy. Because I've been seeing the news reports and the, and the videos and the pictures of what's going on in Hawaii, both in Maui and on the Big Island. And up to now, I don't even know what the, the loss of life toll is. I know the, the devastation and the property value loss is like in the billions and billions. And my heart's heavy. It's a place that I love. It's a place that, that my wife and I were able to spend our honeymoon. Um, and, and I think about the people that I've met and, and all the places that I've visited that are now in ruins and have lost. Um, you know, as a pastor, I, I grieve, but I also... I stop and, and, and I get a little nervous because there's a moment I know for myself and, and maybe even my kids or people that I, that I love, there's that question that's going to come up, why would this happen? Why would God let this happen? How could this fit into any sort of plan? This doesn't make any sense. Why would this happen to good people? And that's a difficult question. It's a question that I don't know how to make sense of in the world. It's a question I don't know how to make sense of in my life. Now, okay, if we sat down together and had coffee, I'm sure over the past week or month or year or several years, you and I could share stories about all the things that are happening in our lives that don't make sense. Anybody? So what do we do? What do we do when the different things that are happening to us, the the circumstances, the the relationships, the things that we wish would happen or, or we wish would stop, just don't make sense? Well, this morning I want to share a message with you uh, from Romans 8, 28, 29, which Catherine read for us. And we're calling this message, The Pieces Have a Purpose. And, and as I was thinking about this text and this message, I was thinking about my, my two little girls. I think we have a picture up. Jordan and Sophie. Jordan is six and Sophie is four. Um, and, and one of the things that they love doing is they love doing puzzles. You probably can't see this. They love doing puzzles, and you know I'm a girl dad because it's like a princess one, right? And, and it's great. I mean, they, um, Jordan has gotten really good at it. Sophie is quickly catching up. She's getting so much better. And when they first started, both when Jordan started and Sophie started, this is what you do. As dad, you, you start with a four-piece puzzle. And what I do is I put the pieces pretty much where they're supposed to go right in front of them. And, and I show them how they fit together, and then I allow them, or, you know, I say, hey, now you do it. And so they'll snap the pieces together. They'll look at me, and I'm like, I did it! And in my mind, I'm like, I did it. <laughs> but you can take the credit for this one, okay? But, you know, after a while, they, they don't need my help anymore. They just take the puzzle out of the little box, and then they put the pieces together very easily. They know how it's supposed to fit together. So when you get through the four-piece puzzle, you graduate up to the ten-piece puzzle, the 24-piece puzzle, the 50-piece the puzzle, and now you can get up to even the 1,000-piece puzzle. Now, if you're a puzzle person, here's what that you might know. That the more pieces that are involved, the bigger the puzzle is, there are two things that will inevitably happen, okay? The first is this, that you'll come to the point, sometimes very quickly, where you have pieces and you have no idea where they're supposed to go. You have pieces and you, do, you don't know where they're supposed to fit in the puzzle. And you have pieces you don't know how in the world they're supposed to even fit together. 
And even if you're a beginner, even if you're really good at puzzles, we're all going to get to that point. The second thing that's true about puzzles, if you're a puzzle person, is that the bigger the puzzle is, the more pieces of the puzzle, the box becomes that much more important. Because oftentimes what happens is the box gives you the picture of what the puzzle is supposed to look like. The box lets you know that when all the pieces fit together, the, the final product will be this. So the box is really important, and we'll get to that in a minute. Now, Jordan and Sophie, I told you, get to the point very quickly because we're getting into more challenging puzzles where they, get, where they find pieces and they, they don't know how they fit. And my girls have two very different reactions and responses to this moment. My oldest, Jordan, when she gets to that point, she gets very down on herself. She gets very quiet and her shoulders will slump and she'll, she'll look up and she's like, I can't do it. I'm no good at this. This is too hard for me. She'll even get to the point where she's, she gets so frustrated at herself and, at, and, and not being able to do this thing because she's a bit of a perfectionist, even at six, that, that, that she'll start to cry. She'll get really emotional. My, my four-year-old, on the other hand, has a very different response. When she gets to the moment where the pieces don't fit, when she doesn't know what to do next, she goes into a four-year-old fit of rage. She starts screaming and yelling. She throws pieces across the room. She throws the pieces up in the air and she starts yelling, it's broken. This is broken. Somebody broke it. Dad, you need to fix it. We need to get a new one. This is broken. What's her response? I can't do it. So there must be something wrong with this puzzle. There's something wrong with the puzzle. She's so angry and frustrated because of it. Now, here's what I know, again, as dad, is that moment of, of, of confusion and frustration and I don't know what to do next, that, that's a painful place for anyone of any age. And so I want to meet them where they are, in the midst of their frustration and anger and, and sadness. I want to meet them and I want to say, hey, there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with the puzzle. It's just a really hard place that you're in. But, but here's the thing, and, and, and it'd be so easy for me to say, hey, look, this is how they fit, because I just want to fix it for them. Because what happens oftentimes is that when, when we ourselves are in those moments that are confusing and painful, or where someone else that we know, that we love, that we care about, is also in that moment, we, it's uncomfortable for us, we don't like it, we want to fix it as soon as possible. Now, here's what I know about church folks, that... At any given moment, if there is someone that you know that is going through a moment of pain and doubt and suffering and even a really difficult um, circumstance, there might be someone who takes it upon themselves to go to that person and share a Bible verse, whether they were asked for it or not. And oftentimes that verse is Romans 8.28. For we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now this is a powerful verse. For some people this has been the verse that they have held on to. It has gotten them through difficult times. It has been a reminder of God's love and his plan. They got it up on the walls. They got it on the pillows. It's on greeting cards. Like it's on sticky notes. It is one of those verses that, that you hold on to. For others though... 
this verse, or maybe because someone shared this verse to them in an untimely way, is the reason that they don't want to talk to God anymore. Is the reason that they won't set foot in church. Is the reason that, 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 they, that they don't know how to believe in a God who would take these things, these painful things, and put them in our lives with the people that we love. How can I, how can I get down with a God like that? Romans 8.28, like so many other verses in Scripture, I like to think of them as like dynamite verses. Here's what I mean by that. That dynamite in its proper context is extremely powerful and explosive in breaking through barriers and obstacles, things that don't belong. You can all of a sudden find a way where there was no way because you use this dynamite. But just like dynamite, when you misuse it, when you mishandle it, it could cause a lot of harm, both for yourself and for others. Now think about for a moment all the ways in which, again, this really beautiful scripture, powerful scripture, might be mishandled and misused. And I thought about a few. Because I love God, only good things should happen to me. If I love God and I serve God, then not as many bad things should happen to me. Or at least less bad things than those other people who don't love God. If I love God and I'm called by God, then I should be able to get the job that I want. I should be able to be in the relationship that I want. That if both of us love God, then we should definitely have less conflict and have less pain. My wife and I joke, um, she is like a master at finding parking in New York City. And so she constantly tells me that God loves her a little bit more than me. (laughs) Which, that might be true for a lot of different reasons. And again, think about that. When things happen the way we want them to, things happen to us, maybe in a way that someone else is like, oh, it's because God loves me or because I love God a little bit more than you. And we know in our heart of hearts that that's not true. But when you're in that moment, when you're like, what do I do with this? It's hard for that thought not to come up. It's hard for that feeling not to hit you. And that's the danger, friends, sometimes of taking one verse or maybe one, the way that one verse has been interpreted for us and building our whole faith and our whole theology around it. Or maybe allowing that one verse to upend because we're, we're taking it in the context maybe that it's not supposed to, we're mishandling it and misusing it. Because if we look at the rest of Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans, even if we look at the rest of Romans, Romans 8, this chapter, this is not what Paul is telling us. Paul is not saying that if you love God, that your life will be filled with ease and comfort. In fact, he's saying the very opposite. He says this, that that in the suffering world that Paul is living in, that we live in also, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Why is Paul saying all these things? Because these are all things that he's experienced, people that in his community have experienced, people in the world who love God experience all the time. Paul knows that that suffering and pain is not excluded from those who love God. 
In fact, in his time, if you love God, it was expected that you were going to suffer a little bit more. John Stott, the theologian and commentator, this is what he says about this passage. This is our Christian dilemma. Caught in the tension between what God has inaugurated by giving us his spirit, by what he has consummated in our final adoption and redemption, we groan with discomfort and longing. The indwelling spirit gives us joy. The coming glory gives us hope. But the interim suspense gives us pain. We sit in all the discomfort and pain. Whether you love God or you don't, because all of us live in the midst of a broken and decaying world that more often goes to things falling apart and things not making sense than things coming together neatly and nicely like the end of that romantic comedy. But here's the thing for us, is that, that we might think that if we love God, if we are faithful, if we pray, that our lives should come together, right, the way that we want it to. That, 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 if, that we think that, like, at the end, and I lost a piece, at the end, I mean, shouldn't all the pieces of our life come together to, to be something beautiful? Shouldn't, shouldn't, our, shouldn't our job and our career end up at a place that, that we are satisfied and fulfilled by? Shouldn't our family and our relationships end up being exactly what we had hoped and dreamed for? Can't I one day have a washer and dryer in my unit? And that's what we might think, is that at the end of the day, shouldn't the picture be something that we would all love? And here's what Paul says. That if we think of the picture on the box as being something perfect and comfortable and pleasurable for us, then we might get disappointed. We might set ourselves up for a lot of pain. And that's not at all what Paul was saying because he gives us verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Eugene Peterson, in his uh, translation, the message, he says, he, this is the way he gives us verse 28 and verse 29. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. So when we think about the picture on the box, the picture that we're looking at, the picture that all the pieces come together to form is not a more perfect life for Mike or for you. It's a life that looks more like Jesus and the life of Jesus. That's the image of his son. That's the picture on the box. That's what all the pieces are coming together to form. And when we think about the life of Jesus, it was not a life that was, that was filled with ease. It was filled with pain. It, there, there was a resurrection, but there was a cross. The living son of God was born in a manger to a teenage couple that no one wanted to help. He ran around with these disciples who constantly disappointed, and eventually one of them betrayed him. He was arrested unjustly. He was beaten. He was scorned. 
And as he hung on the cross, he looked at those who did that to him and he said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. I don't know how those pieces are supposed to fit together. I don't know how those pieces are supposed to make sense, except in the fact that they come together to form the message to us that God loves us and will redeem us and will give his very son so that we might have forgiveness and love and salvation. This week is the memorial for Tim Keller, Pastor Tim Keller, and we think about his life and and his legacy here in the city, Um, both in his ministry and, and, and his sickness and the way he has battled with cancer um, to the very end. And and I thought about this quote from Tim. Jesus did not suffer so that you would not suffer, but so that when you suffer, you would become more like him. God can take and redeem all the things and all the pieces in our lives to fit together, to look more like the life of Jesus, to teach us more and more that when one piece fits another piece, that, that this is what Jesus looks like in us. This is what it looks like for us to respond and look more like Jesus together. Now that may feel like, oh, that's good. That's an easy message, but it's not. I know it's not. Because there are two things that I've learned about this. First, when you have one piece, you don't, always get all the piece, you don't always get the next piece all at the same time. Because I would really want all the pieces to, to be right in front of me and to be laid out so that all, I know how to put them all together. But we don't get all the pieces at the same time. My wife, uh, she, this was years ago, before we met, um, suffered from chronic insomnia. So for a period of for about, about 18 months, um, she could not sleep and had to go on medical leave from work. And there were weeks where she would sleep less than 10 hours for the week. And she would, she would describe to me the pain of, of being up at night, not being able to sleep, crying, weeping, in so much pain physically. And during that time, her faith was an anchor for her in so many ways, and she cried out to God, and the Psalms were a comfort. Because the Psalms gave her permission to complain and be angry and be frustrated, be confused to just be with God and to know that God wanted to be with her in that place. And what she would tell me is that she would read through the Psalms, but sometimes she couldn't get through a whole Psalm. She would read a Psalm just a verse at a time. For months, she would do this. And what I learned from that and what I learned from her is that sometimes we read through a Psalm way too quickly. We think that we should go from verse 1 to verse 6 in one sitting, but life doesn't always work like that. Sometimes you might be in the valley of the shadow of death for a while before you find the pieces that connect to surely his goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. We don't get all the pieces at the same time. And friends, wherever you are today, And if you got some pieces that don't make sense, maybe you don't have all the pieces yet. And God meets us there. He is with us. He is a good and loving Father. Because again, the picture is for us to know that he loves us as much as he loves his son. That we are called into the same family with Jesus. Here's the other thing I've learned. We don't get all the pieces at the same time. And 
we don't have all the pieces ourselves. We don't have all the pieces ourselves. Again, one of the mistakes and the, the ways I think we mishandle Scripture is that we think that Scripture is written to us for us only, individually. That the, the Bible that Paul is writing to individuals here, but he is not. He is writing to a community of people who love God and are called to look more like Jesus. He's writing to a community. He said, for you all who love God, which means this, is that you may not have all the pieces that fit together to look like the picture of Jesus. Someone else actually might have a piece that fits with your piece. Um, I got to be a youth pastor for a long time, and one of the things that I always wanted to do, and, you know, when I spoke to, to young people, high schoolers, middle schoolers, and camps and retreats and youth nights, is, is share my story. And a lot of the, the students that I was speaking to, they were sim- from similar backgrounds as me. And, and I'll tell them about um, what it was like for me growing up as, as a, a child of immigrants and all the pain and frustration of that, and especially the pain and frustration of my relationship with my dad and, and the way that God healed that and used that. And I wouldn't pull any punches. I would, I would really tell them. I was like, there were moments where I was like, I hated being in my family. I hated growing up in my circumstances. I hated the pressures that were put on me. And I'd share that story with them. And inevitably, in all these places, there would be a 14 to 15-year-old boy who would come up to me at some point and, and he, he would say, um, hey, you know, when you're telling that story, that's kind of me right now. Hey, um, how did you forgive your dad? How did you, um, how did you know that even though you were failing and disappointing everyone, that God still loved you and still approved of you? How did you know that you were going to be Okay. And I realized that when I was growing up, these pieces that I had no idea why they were in my life and why they, and they made no sense to me at all, that in those moments that I realized that my piece fit with his piece. And that's why it was there. What if, friends, that you have pieces in your life that on their own, they make no sense at all, but fit with the pieces of the people around you, all of a sudden together we could look a lot more like Jesus. Here's what I know about so many nonprofits and, and ministry initiatives is that for, for many of them, they were started by people who experienced in some ways, in some moments in their life, incredible suffering and incredible pain. And because of that suffering and pain, because of the pieces in their life that they had no idea, that they never asked for or prayed for, but they wanted them to make sense in the world, they were looking for ways that they could fit their piece with the life of someone else so that those pieces can make sense. I was in Thailand a number of years ago, and I got to meet this woman named Sophia. And Sophia had a ministry where she would go to the bars um, of Thailand and Bangkok, and she would minister to the girls there who were, who were often in prostitution and, and human trafficking. And I got to know a bit more about her story, and she, she told me that when she was young, she lived in the rural areas outside of Bangkok, and because her, her family needed to pay for a debt, she was actually sold to another family. And she would tell the story how, how she would look at the window and constantly be waiting and waiting for someone to come and get her. So constantly be waiting for, for her family to come back. But they never came. And eventually, again, she got um, 
through, through many painful circumstances, um, got to meet uh, some missionaries that were there, got to um, hear the gospel, be, became a Christian, be able, got, got to be pulled out of, of those trafficking situations and, and find her freedom and, um, and now has a ministry where she goes to these bars and ministers to these girls. And she would tell us these stories uh, about how she would go. And, and we asked her, because it's dangerous. There are so many bar owners and people that would threaten her and go after her and said, why, why do you do it? Why do you put your life on the line? Why do you risk this? And she said this, because there are, there are girls there that I know are waiting. They're, where they're waiting for someone to show up. And I know because I was waiting for someone to show up for me. So I'm going to go and show up. So the pieces of my life can fit with the pieces of their life because that's, I think, what Jesus would want us to do. Friends, what if the way that we can make more sense of the pieces in our lives is by getting to know the stories of the people around you, by opening our lives up to one another because maybe someone here, their piece fits with your piece. And in a group, in a ministry, in a small group, in a in a relationship, in a friendship, over a cup of coffee, that together, if we share those things, all of a sudden, together, we could look more like Jesus. Because that's what we've been called to do as a family of God.